0: Have you ever wondered why some places just draw people to them? People want to go and work there while others, people just go through the motions. Well, today we hear from coach Jim Johnson, who talks about how the only way you can get somebody to want to come to an organization or stay in an organization is by having a mission that's bigger than the organization itself. And by giving people something that sets them apart to identify themselves as different and special for belonging to that organization. Hey, everybody, Dr. Jones here with another episode of Seeing to Lead. And this episode has a whole lot about belonging, vulnerability, consistency, all of those things that we know build better organizations and make people wanna be part of something bigger. This episode is so good That is part one of two. I know after hearing this one that you're going to want to tune into the next one. Coach Jim Johnson and I had a great conversation that talks about being a servant leader and that we often serve ourselves best by serving others. And he gives us some special tips and strategies on how we can do that to create an environment that everyone wants to be part of, but more importantly, that we ourselves grow and become better for being part of. It doesn't take long to understand that Coach Jim Johnson truly believes in servant leadership and how that can make a better environment and serve everyone around us better. Like I said, this is part one of two. I'm so happy you're here listening. If you like what you hear, don't forget to give the show A rating and review right after you subscribe to it so everyone can benefit from interviews like this. Well, servant leadership, building better organizations that people want to be part of and flock to, sounds like a great idea to me. But don't take it from me. Let's hear from Coach Jim Johnson on
1: Seeing to Lead. Am I being a good role model? Am I helping others? Do I have a servant's heart? Am I doing this for the right reasons? And I I give you a little advice. So when I talk to people, because I do a workshop on this, I say, the first thing is, I think you got to constantly ask yourself this question, why were you put on this earth? Or if you're a person of faith, which I am, I say, why did God put me on this earth? Number two is really getting clarity. What are your three most important core values? And then the third thing is taking time to think and discover what you're all about. And because when you get clarity, the people that I think are most successful as leaders have clarity about what they stand for first.
0: Dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Over 30 years of experience developing winning high school basketball teams, including 428 career victories, sets the stage for the unique credibility and power of Coach Jim Johnson's message. Many speakers talk about leadership but it's rare to find a speaker who has quite literally led thousands. In a moment later celebrated all over the world, coach weighed risk with the potential for great opportunity for an autistic student manager, Jason McElwin, JMAC, catapulting Jim, the team, and JMAC down a path of inspiration and hope. That one victory continues to reverberate into countless lives as audience after audience is touched by a wave of courage and tenacity and witnesses what true leadership can accomplish. Today's guest, Coach Jim Johnson, is a special guest. And I'm, I'm so glad we got to meet each other and talk and stay in touch a little while. Because his story about J-Mac and where he talks about the idea of courage and tenacity are just themes that are woven into everything Coach Jim does. And I'm super excited to be talking to him on the podcast today and have my listeners hear from him. I just can't, you'll hear some pauses. I just can't say enough about you, coach, because in the short time we've known each other, I've just been so impressed with the leadership that you believe in and practice. So, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Chris, and uh, I come right back at you. I had the privilege to just finish your book, and uh, as I said before we recorded, that uh, you're the kind of leader I, I wish I uh, had. I, I had some good leaders in my life in education, but uh, I really appreciate what uh, what you do as a leader in the education world.
0: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
1: You know when you're when you're
0: talking about books, uh, the book that you know that JMac has really referenced in is a coach and a miracle. And I really like the subtitle of it, Life Lessons from a Man Who Believed in an Autistic Boy. And if you could, just because I think it's such an important part, it's the foundation of this book and this system that you lay out in the book. If you could just kind of walk us through the the story of J Mac for those of us who haven't heard it.
1: Sure. So uh, I'll give you just a quick uh, how he came in. So he he did not try out for basketball his freshman year. And I didn't know, we, I was in a fairly big school and I didn't have in my class as a physical education teacher. But he tried out for the JVs. I was the varsity coach uh, as a sophomore, and uh, I didn't really know he was even trying out. And my JV coach came, and we always talked a lot about what, what characteristics we were looking for with, with uh, bringing the right people onto the buses, Jim Collins is noted to say. And and from doing that, he came into the office during trials. He says, Coach, I have this young man named Jason McElwain. He's not a very good player. He's on the autism spectrum. He's learning disabled. He's about five foot six and 90 pounds. But man, he has some of the other characteristics we talk about, you know, that, that he has a real passion. He wants to get better. He's a we over me guy. He'll put the team first. And I said, well, what do you got in mind? He says, I want to keep him in the program as our team manager for the JVs. And that's what he did. And, um, and I started to get to know him a little bit because, uh, you know, in our situation, the JV and varsity game were back to back. So he would sit on the bench and he wanted to sit on the bench for the both games. And it was funny because he, he was around the JVs all the time. So he would get really emotional during the game. And he always came dressed in a white shirt and black tie. And by the end of the game, he'd be what I call a little tad disheveled. And it always would <laughs> warm my heart because our, one of the varsity players would always go over, maybe sometimes two of them, they'd straighten him out. And then he was more calm for the varsity game because he didn't know the varsity players as well. Uh, but I started to get to know him and, what was very unique about him was not all the challenges he had, but was that he so wanted to be in our program and he was willing to make the commitment. And I think that's a great lesson for all young people is that he didn't, uh, you know, after that season, he came to our workouts and I, you know, I was picking him up at his house and we, I loved him because he loved basketball like I did. So we always would talk of basketball and he was always learning all these new things and, so he tries out for the varsity as a junior and he, and he's not going to make the team, but I bring him in. I said, Jason, I'd like to have you, um, be the varsity team manager. And by the way, he's nicknamed J Mac. Uh, and it's just not bragging, but I tagged it because I couldn't pronounce his last name. <laughs> and he liked the nickname. <laughs> so it. It worked for everybody, but there was a, a lot of people in the school that did not know his real name. Everybody knew him as J Mac. So anyways, uh, so the funny part is junior year, at that point in my career, I had been a fairly successful coach, measured by wins and losses. We had won a lot of games, but we had never won our sectional title. In fact, during going to Jason's junior year, I'd taken five different teams to the sectional semifinal, never ever making it to the finals. So at our first team meeting is junior year. I walk in the meeting and he immediately raises his hand. And he says, coach, we know you've never won a section five championship. And I said, thanks, Jay, for the reminder. <laughs> and he says... But this year is going to be different. We're going to adopt this mantra, stay focused, and we're going to help you win your first sectional championship. So he serves as a manager all year. We have another good team. We get to the semifinals now in the sectionals for the sixth time in my career, and we lose at the buzzer to our Crosstown rival. And I'm devastated. But I, this kid really helped me because I didn't think I w- we were ever going to get through that obstacle. I just didn't. I couldn't figure it out. But he was so inspirational because he would come to everything again. So his senior, he tries out and I bring him in the office. And, and I told him I got some good news and some bad news. He says, coach, tell me the bad news first. I said, well, unfortunately, not quite good enough to make the team. And this time he's visibly upset. And I said, but I'm going to give you some good news. And he had popped back up. He said, what do you got in mind? He says, coach, I said, for senior night, Jason, I'm going to give you a uniform and hopefully get you in the game. Well, he was pretty fired about, up about that uniform idea. In fact, I kid people that periodically he would ask me about the uniform. And of course, I define periodically as about every other day. So uh, he was pretty fired up. Well, as you mentioned, you, you read the book, A Coach in a Miracle. And the, really, the crazy thing, um, it's a lot about that season. And what I, the, the, very interesting but challenging part was the first half of that season was the most difficult season I ever had in my career. We had a lot of inside turmoil. It divided the team uh, and I was beside myself. And if it wasn't for my wife and my my coaching staff, I think I would have uh, resigned. uh, That was that bad. And, but they, you know, I was a big quote guy and I'm still am. And uh, they, they came back with one of my favorite quotes. They like I said, uh, coach, you always said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's time for you to step up. So I embraced <laughs> the challenge, but it was not easy. Uh, and, and so we actually went through a funk where we lost three out of five games right before Christmas. And we were in this Christmas tournament. And this was the turning point of our season was, um, in the first night, we barely won. We should have beaten this team by a lot, and they were terrible, but we just were not together. In the host school is called Fairport. It's a big high school in Rochester. They were really good. And they smashed this team that we had barely beaten two weeks earlier in the second game. So it was during Christmas break. So during that, usually we'll have a short practice because we didn't have school. And we brought him in for an hour. Normally we call it a shoot around. We bring out some basketballs. We go through some plays, do some shooting drills and get them ready for the game. I knew I had to do something different. So we got no basketballs out. I sat him in the bleachers. I looked him right in the eyes and i shocked him. I said, guys, I don't want to go to the game tonight. So I was really vulnerable. I said, uh, and then I gave him a little talk. I said, you know, unless we decide we're going to uh, uh, be together, the Fairport's going to be used by 50 points tonight. And, but the best thing I did, Chris, and I I know reading your book, I know this is something you really buy in, in, in trying to empower your teachers is this is where I really made a dramatic change. I said, guys, I don't have the answers. You guys have the answers. You got to be open up and share how we're going to get this team back united. And the whole hour was all them just sharing ideas. And finally, you could see there was a little bit better bounce in their step. And that night, it would be a great story to say that we won the game. We didn't, but we lost to him in overtime, and it really showed what we could do. And then we got some momentum. We won eight of our next nine games going into senior night, which is on February 15th in 2006. I can't believe it was that long ago. On February 13th, I gave Jason his first jersey. He was number 52. It was way too big. He didn't care. In fact, there was a rumor going around school that he slept in it for two straight nights. (laughs) But he was fired up. And, you know, to see him embrace his parents, because of what we did, how we honored our seniors. We always did it before the game. We bring the parents and guardians out. And to see him embrace his parents in uniform as a memory, I would truly always cherish. I still get choked up when I talk about it in my presentations. Well, the game begins. And my thought process is I want to get Jason in. But because we had had all this internal strife, I knew I couldn't put him in before I got all the other guys who were on the regular team members. And so I got everybody in within the first three quarters and I put Jason one just over four minutes ago. And the next thing, Chris, was another thing that just profoundly touched my heart. And so you talk about a community embracing this. One of our parents, he was kind of our unofficial photographer and I had no idea he did this, but he had all these pictures of Jason's face and he put them on paint sticks like placards and he gave them to our student body. They called themselves the six men. And we had a good following that year. And they give him a standing ovation, but they show all these placards. And Mr. Macho me—I normally don't cry at basketball games. I sit down in tears, literally starting to up. Face, I am so touched by how they greeted him. Well, now he's in his first varsity basketball game. The first time he touches the ball, he's got a three-pointer. He lets it go. The crowd kind of stands, and brings to their feet. It misses by like six feet. And then I kid people that I know you're not supposed to pray in the public schools when I was praying. Please help them get one basket. So the next possession, he actually has a much shorter shot from about 10 feet. And this time it hits the backboard, it hits the rim and it falls off and the crowd groans. And I'm thinking, all right, God's starting to listen. We're getting closer. And then (laughs) the third possession, he lets go another three pointer and this time. Magic. It goes in the, Place just explodes, and I'm thinking to myself, God must be a basketball fan. How is he scored? He's got a three pointer. <laughs> can't get any better than this, right? Well, for the next three minutes, he turns into his idol, the late Kobe Bryant. In fact, he used to sign his name. I kid you not, Chris, Jason J. Mac Kobe McElwain. That's how he used to sign his name. That's funny. He's so into Kobe. Well, I'm going to share a quick sidelight and come back and finish the story of the game. So five months after that game, Jason's at the ESPYs awards. He's up for the greatest sports moment of the year, and one of the other four finalists is his idol, Kobe. Kobe has scored eighty-one points in an NBA game that that year, and so he meets his idol and he beats him out for the ESPY. So how does he do that? Well, after that first basket, next time down he makes another three. Then he makes a shot where his foot's on the line, which I yelled at the official. Come on, you can give him free for that. So that was his only two-pointer. And he makes a couple and he misses a couple. And the two things I'll never forget with a minute to go, I'm sitting on the bench. I'm The tears still rolling down my face. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And I get a tap on my shoulder. I'm shocked. I look behind me and it's J-Mac's mother and she's bawling her eyes out. And she whispers in my ear, coach, this is the best gift you could ever give of my son. Of course, what would you have done? I cried harder. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And then the, this is how the game ends. It's literally like out of a Hollywood ending, other than the fact it wasn't, you know, a, a last second shot that won the game. But he, uh, at the in the last 10 seconds, our, our opponent that night, Spencer Moore High School, and I want to give kudos to their coach and players. They were really good sports. But they score basket. And our player takes it out. He normally throws a door point guard, but this time he throws it to j Max. So j Max dribbling down the court. I thought they were just going to let him go, and he'd go in and make a short layup. Oh, no, he pulls up like almost two feet behind the arc. I'm thinking, Jason, do two shoot from there. You're going to ruin this moment. He <laughs> watches this rainbow switch. Oh, You look over, our student body runs on the court. Our f- players run on the court. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm living the movie Rooney. <laughs> the- <laughs> and then the two things I'll finish with is, our players put him up on their shoulders. He's got the game ball over his head. And I'll never forget this because at this point, I have no idea how many points he has. And our public address announcer comes on and says, the leading scorer for the Trojans tonight, j with 20 points. And of course, me with my math brain, I'm thinking, if he played the whole game, he'd scored 160 points. That's pretty good. <laughs> and the other thing that was so cool, Chris, because I mentioned, you know, that we had a lot of um, division in our team, but we, you know, really had brought it back and united them. Was the fact that I never asked those four players that are on the floor to pass him the ball yet? All those last four minutes, he they passed the ball to him every time. And I always talk about you know that's the essence of leadership and teamwork when you can shine the light on someone else. And um and they did that too, and I deal. Although I, I'll say a little side light, I still see Jason all the time, and I often kid him. I'm like, JMac, I'm still looking for your first decision and pass the ball once. uh, It it was certainly, and we can go a lot of different angles and there's a lot of different things that that I've learned from that. And, uh, but uh, it was, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I was fortunate after that we ended up winning our first section five champions. Jason had to go back as our team manager. And in fact, the the greatest thing about that, Chris, because we've been interviewed a lot over the years and I'll never forget when we've been interviewed together, people would ask hey, Jason, what was the best thing about your senior season? Of course, they're waiting to hear about his game, right? And he always says, winning a Section 5 championship, there's nothing to <laughs> talk about. Really. And the funny thing is how it turned for me because that was kind of my dream as a coach to win a Section 5 championship. I was fortunate after that, Jason came back and helped me, and we won six together. So it was, uh, but it, nothing ever touched that night. That, that was the most special night I ever had in coaching by far. So...
0: What a fantastic story. And, and, you know, you're right. First of all, there, there's a couple of things I want to hit on. You, you talked about the different people on the bus, right? You want to get the different people on the bus. Right. And you mentioned passion, but you also mentioned commitment. But then you modeled vulnerability and how you have to be vulnerable if people are going to be empowered around you. You have to, you have, to have that ability to have that open relationship or dialogue with people where you trust each other. And now you may have been divided as a team, but what strikes me is, because if we if we look at it in the educational realm with staffs, mm-hmm. and we'll get to parents in a minute, but there they're oftentimes that division. Is mm-hmm. it? And we have to be able to bridge that. And oftentimes the times that I can think of where we've had a divided staff at a place where I've been, is mm-hmm. it? It's that vulnerability that starts building that trust. Right. That really brings people together. So uh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that just meant a lot. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book, Seeing to Lead Yet?, It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D dot com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. I love J-Mac's answer. My pleasure. When you ask him what the most important thing was, the, the, winning, the winning the championship instead of that moment. And... In your book, when you're talking about mission and and creating a mission, yeah, you talk about if, if I could just quote for a second, coaches like teachers. Sure. Uh, well, coaches are judged by wins and losses. I added like teachers with tests and scores and things Maybe. like that. Yeah, you know. are judged by wins and losses. But personal development means so much. So, in a sport or in a classroom, obviously, where so, much, so many people look in and judge, and this is something that my athletic director and I talk about when we're talking to coaches or working with coaches. So much is judged on that win-loss column. But how do you still emphasize the personal development piece, emphasize that piece while getting the other piece, the wins and losses? I'd, I'd
1: love to hear your take on that. Well, so I'm going to take you in a couple things. So first thing, because you mentioned about mission, and one of the things that... Uh, uh, I do a lot of leadership talks now. And and the funny part is I was a head coach at another school at 25 years old. So I, a pretty young age and I did such a great job. It led that team to 17 consecutive losses. And then they <laughs> let me go. <laughs> I, I was in an injured position and they didn't re, renew my contract. So it was a pretty humbling experience. But it really opened my eyes because I got an opportunity to work with a college coach. Ironically, um, for your listeners that follow basketball, his name was Bill Van Gundy and his two sons, Jeff and Stan, are commentators and head coaches in the NBA. They, they were young like me when I, you know, I was working with Coach Van Gundy, but he kind of helped me get back my, my feet. And I started, to, it really woke my up, myself up that if I was going to be a better coach, I had to be, have clarity about who I was. And also the fact that, If you're going to be successful, you got to keep getting better and then you got to help your people keep getting better. So I talk about seven keys. So the first thing I talk about is clarifying your vision. And to me, there's two parts to that. The first one is getting clarity of your own personal mission. And, you know, as I mentioned, I do a lot of leadership presentations. and One thing I challenge because it's a very small percentage of my audience, and I think probably in the country and around the world, that have real clarity about their mission their why. You know, Simon Sinek read a a great book, The Power of Why. And I think having that clarity. So, you know, I, I share to all my audiences, I share to my players, you know, my mission was to be an outstanding role model that makes a positive difference in the world by helping others make their dreams come true. And why I think that's so important, no matter what your mission is, is that I think when you get clarity of knowing who you are and what you stand for, because the old adage, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for everything, right? And, and so that was, every day when I woke up, it's like, well, am I being a good role model? Am I helping others? Do I have a servant's heart? Am I doing this for the right reasons? And I, I give you a little advice. So when I talk to people, because I do a workshop on this, I say, the first thing is, I think you got to constantly ask yourself this question, why were you put on this earth? Or if you're a person of faith, which I am, I say, why did God put me on this earth? Number two is really getting clarity. What are your three most important core values? And then the third thing is taking time to think and discover what you're all about. And because when you get clarity, the people that I think are most successful as leaders have clarity about what they stand for first. Then the second thing is getting clarity about, you know, most schools, most, uh, you know, organizations have your mission statements, which are great. They're nice to put on the wall. They're nice to, you know, uh, talk about. But one of the things I really encourage leaders is you got to be the CRO the chief reminding officer <laughs> and it, everybody's got to be clear about what the mission is. For example, when I took over my second program before I, my last 27 years, I, I taught it and coached at two schools in my hometown. But before that I coached at a small school and that's why I, t- I started talking about team mission. And, and I took over a program. They were bad. they had only won two games. And, and I said, uh, you know, what should we be all about? What is our mission? And remember, you know, I was in a meeting with all the players coming back and they said, coach, we want to win. We only won two games. He <laughs> said, well, I'm going to win two. I'm not going to say that I don't want to win. But it's got to be bigger than this. He said, Because I started to study and, uh, you know, any successful team or business, they're going to have success. They have to have a bigger mission than just um, winning games or, or making a profit. And so what we developed is we were going to develop winners on and off the court and going back to me being the chief reminding officer is that I had to share with them, what does it take to win on the court? Winning on the score is part of that, but are you a good teammate? Are you a good sport? Can you handle adversity? Those are things we were trying to teach day in and day out. And then off the court, are you the best student you could be? Uh, Are you, you know, you talk about, you do so well with this, Chris, but like, you know, we always talked about how important academics was. Well, one of the reasons our teams ended up being pretty good academically is because we recognized it. it was on our bulletin board. Every kid that would made our in our program that was on honor roll or better, it was recognized in a team meeting. It was recognized by a special note that I would send all the kids that made honor roll. So it was it was something that we yes we had high expectations, but we also recognized. And they realized that that was important. And we also obviously wanted them to be good community members the people that were giving back. And, and that was one of the things we always did was we always had at least one activity where we did as a team where we're giving back to the community.
0: That's fantastic. You know, and the, the whole idea of that wins and losses, I find that when you build the character of the individuals on the team so that they they become, you know, almost their own type of family, but they're doing the right thing both on and off the court, on and off the field, the wins come. Yeah, and you can see that in so many high school programs. Like you mentioned, how many wins you had and how well you did season after season. For somebody to understand that that you don't always have that talent, especially in a public school where right. students move through, they matriculate through four years, so you get that rotation where you're, you know, to be able to have a great year. A lot of times, people are like, "Oh, that was a great team." Right. Well, no. It. If you have that program in place that builds leaders, yeah, that's what helps schools win over and over again, because they've got that culture, that core, um, those values, that vision that everybody buys into that then helps them continuously develop the types of players that do go out and win.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really, uh, you've got a great point there, because you have to build a program with a system that people want to be part of. You know, it's funny, I took over three programs after my, I had four different varsity jobs. My first one, as I mentioned, was a disaster. The other three, we did pretty well. And we, you know, we were able to turn around all three of our teams or programs that had losing seasons before we got there. And we got them going. And, but, you know, I think you talked about one thing, like the, another thing I challenge leaders is we all, you talked about it, how important trust is. Sure. Well, I challenged to my, to leaders when I talk to them is, Do you, are you intentional, do you have an intentional plan of how you're going to build trust? And then I, we have three points that we try to build trust with. Okay. One is that we wanted to align our words and actions consistently, you know, for example, like, you know, going back and around a little roundabout, but being attractive when I took over the last three programs, we, our first practice every year was at 6 a.m. Now, when we initially did that, I will admit that some of our players weren't real happy about that idea. (laughs) I'm telling you, at the end of my career, every single player would have said, oh, you got to keep 6 a.m. practices. You know why? Because it was a badge of, hey, we do something a little bit different than everybody else. You know, but this is quite special to be in our program because, you know, no one else is is there at six o'clock in the morning, right? And so... Uh, And then so aligning words and actions. And what I talk to leaders about is that um, you've got to be really clear. I think you should have a few non-negotiables, but not a lot. But one of my non-negotiables is you had to be on time. So if you were late, there was obviously a consequence. But the one thing I was really anal, my wife would be the first to tell you, is I was never late because that was a non-negotiable. And so, you know, if started to 36, I was always there at 5.40, 5.30. You know, I was there in plenty of time, get things ready and get set up. So the kids respected that that I was prepared. You know, I always came in with a written plan. It wasn't, you know, hey, uh, let's throw the balls out. Everything was organized. We had everything on the clock. And so people really bought into that. The second point I always talk to is I think you really have to develop, you know, you, you said a great word, vulnerability is that you've got to have the ability to tell each other the truth. I do think that uh, leadership is both an art and a science. So I think there are times that you, you can call people out as you build relationships because they'll respect it and it also is a, a good thing for the team. But you can't do it all the time. And I think more times than that, you know, when you're going to critique somebody, uh, is that that's why you're getting to know your people Often I did that behind closed doors. You know, I'd say, hey, I really didn't like how you handle that situation. This is what we're looking for. The other thing that I think is hugely important that as educators that we forget is that when we critique, are you giving your students, your athletes, your staff clarity of what you're looking for? Right. So, for example, we're watching film. Right, And we show Johnny didn't run back on defense. Then I would show another clip, Johnny, see how you're running back on defense? That's what we want, okay? (laughs) Or the same thing, you know, I would stop practice sometimes and I'd say, we, uh, do you see how John just ran back on defense? I'll give you a quick little story. My last year in coaching, we're in the semifinals. I had a really good player. I had a kid that actually is playing in the NBA right now. So he was pretty good. (laughs) And, uh, but we, he was like, um, it was him and uh, we just did a, a bunch of rugrats. So we're in the semifinals of our tournament and we're down one with the ball with about 20 seconds to go. And my kid gets the ball stripped from him. And, you know, a lot of times kids, they, they mope and they don't run back on defense. This kid turned and sprinted. And because he sprinted, he ended up fouling the guy that would have had to actually He's up two um, and he fouled the guy because if he gives up a wide open layup, now we're down four. We probably are out of the game because we're just less than fifteen seconds ago in the game. Because he hustled, the kid only made one out of two. My best player came down, got fouled on a three, made all three foul shots with five seconds to go, and won in overtime. You know, the first thing I said after the game in in the uh, locker room to the players, Kenny, you hustling and back on defense helped win the game. Yeah. Yes, Anthony's going to get the glory because he made the three free throws, but we don't have that chance. And everybody gave him a standing ovation. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it's all about when you can recognize. So that that and then the third thing along the same lines is because I, I took over four programs that have been losing and three of them we were able to do is, you know, the old... uh and Blanchard thing that I think we often forget in education is you got to focus more on catching people doing right and making sure you praise them with specific praise. Like I always give the example in, in basketball, instead of saying, nice job, Johnny, they like that, but they don't have clue why you're telling them. Nice job. I would say, nice job, Johnny. I loved how you dove on the floor for that loose ball. That's what championship players do on championship teams. Now he has real clarity of what we're looking for.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, a couple of things jumped into my mind when you were talking about that. Three three things, actually, that when we're talking about how leaders deal with staff and work with staff and, and build that collegiality are incredibly important. And that first one is the badge of honor piece. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny because you talk about the the early morning practices. I use that same type of reinforcement with my two boys who wrestle. And we'll be in the weight room or something like that. And they maybe they don't want to do a set. Maybe they, you know, maybe it was tough to get to the gym. It happens to all of us. And I'll say to them, I'll say, hey, remember that kid from last year that you, what do you think he's doing right now? Is he sitting at home, not doing anything? Or is he thinking he's going to beat everybody and maybe lifting some weights? And they'll say, yeah, dad, I got to, I got to do the different thing. Because on the off chance, he's not doing something. I want to be the one doing something. Just that extra step. And I think that we can we can definitely do that with staff by mm-hmm. by just using the phrase we do things a little different here and then selecting what we do differently like i run staff meetings differently because that's that's what we do we do that different and we consider that making us a special place and and building on our culture the other thing was you know you, you talked about the vulnerability and the non-negotiables you know when you when you run an organization, a team, or anything like that. It's got to be collaborative. And everybody's voice has to be heard. They have to have a part in that. And that means you need to listen to them, but it comes down to you have to make the decision eventually.
1: Right. And
0: I find that, like, when you have your non-negotiable of time, I find that people respect the fact that a decision has to be made. Right. And they respect, whether they agree with it or not, they respect the fact that you made the decision based on hearing them out and letting them have their say rather than if you didn't or if you didn't make a decision right okay. so when you have that personal when you have that personal set of values that core values that that you're very clear on and yep. that you you communicate that clarity with them i find it's much more meaningful and then finally i don't want to i don't want to go on too long cuz i uh, sometimes i talk a little too much but i, I want to get back to you but the whole idea of catching somebody doing something good pointing out the positive and specifically pointing out the positive because people don't necessarily know. And I, I did this again with my boys. I'm a gushing father, by the way. Everybody that listens to this knows that. But with my boys, when they were growing up, I found this out as I went along where instead of saying to one, hey, don't leave your stuff there, I would look at the other one and say, hey, that's a really good job picking your stuff up and keeping your area clean. Suddenly the other one, you know, he wants to go pick his stuff up and <laughs> keep the area clean because, oh man, he got a compliment. People just want that positive
1: reinforcement
0: and they yeah. will go miles for that positive reinforcement if they know exactly what it is right. and it's specific.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I, I love what you're saying. It's beautiful. So, Well, that's it for part one
0: of Jim Johnson's interview on Scene to Lead. And boy, did we cover a lot of ground. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want you to remember a couple important things that Jim said. He talked about... Finding people with a passion for and commitment to what they are doing. Couple that with a we over me attitude and you will be successful in anything you do that has to do with them. Involve people by being vulnerable because that's one of the keys to building trust, which is important in any team or organization. Remember, you have to have a mission that's bigger than just hitting your day-to-day goals. Make sure you tune in next week to part two where we cover even more essential components to serving those you lead. Jim Johnson does a great job of this. He lives this, he models this. So make sure you hear what he has to say. I thank you for taking the time each week to listen to these episodes that we have on scene to Lead. And I want you to do me a favor. Take the time right now hit subscribe, leave a rating, a review, and even better, share your biggest takeaway on social media and tag me. That way everybody can benefit from these great guests that are taking their time to interview on Scene to Lead. Well, that's it for now. Remember part two next week. Have a great week. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's dot com, where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week.